discovered that in life, the hardest thing in the world to find is a deso, okay? Now, if you're Spanish, you might know what I mean. A deso is, hey, give me deso. Deso, right? They can never tell you what it is. And those who don't speak Spanish, it's the thing. Hey, hand me that thing, right? You ever had your mom and dad do that? Hey, give me that thing. What thing? That thing. What thing? The thing over there, the thing, the thing. And you're like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they look at you like you're stupid, right? They look at you like, like you have no idea because somehow you can't read their mind. But the hardest thing to find is the thing you're not sure exactly what you're looking for. Because you don't really know. And so what happens is when they're yelling at you, you start picking things up, right? You're oh, this thing and this thing. And, and you pick up random stuff too, right? Like you're working on the car, you pick up an iron. Did you, I don't know why you wanted the iron. Do you want the iron? And again, they look at you like you're a complete moron. Like, no, are you serious? Give me the thing. It's hard when you don't know what you're looking for. And the problem is sometimes we don't even know we're supposed to be looking I was thinking about that as I was reading a story in the Bible. It's actually one of my favorite illustrations and stories in the Bible. And you find it in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to check out the Gospel of John, chapter 4. There's, there's a few verses in here, but I, I really want to focus in on this story. And just to set it up, Jesus and his disciples, they're out there doing their thing, performing miracles, preaching the gospel, and, uh, you know, word is starting to get around. And so Jesus decides he needs to go back to his home base, which is in Galilee. And the Bible says that in order to get there geographically, they had to go through a town called Samaria. Now, contextually, let me give you some background on this. Long ago, Jewish uh, communities settled in Samaria, but a lot of them intermarried with Samaritans, people that were originally from Samaria. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that God always told his people is don't intermarry with other cultures because you're going to stop to adapt them. You're going to start to worship their gods. You need to stay within the Jewish culture. And so because there's a lot of these half Jewish, half Samaritan people in Samaria, the Jewish community looked really down on them. Right, they were like like mug bloods and Harry Potter, or, you know, half bloods. Like it's like, oh, you're you're unpure, you're not good, and so they had an issue with them. But if they didn't go through Samaria, they would have ended up going like another week's worth of a walk to get back to Galilee, and that's where the story picks up here. And if you're looking in your Bibles in John chapter four, I'm going to read verses four through twenty. It's a little bit of a long story, but it's this really cool encounter with a woman who finds something that she didn't know she was looking for. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that, his son, that he gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and because, tired from a long walk, he sat wearily uh, beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? 
How can you offer better water than he and his sons had and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. So tell me, why is it that, I'm sorry, you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where your ancestors worship? That's how you say it in Hebrew. I just had to pronounce it good for you. It's an interesting conversation that's going on, and there's a lot to unpack in there. But I want to focus in on a few things. I want to really look at this woman and her life and what's going on because this woman, uh, you can kind of tell that things aren't all the way okay, that something isn't right. I mean, Jesus in, in one moment literally puts her on blast and calls out the fact that she's had five husbands. I mean, even today, we'd be like, dang, you had five husbands? Like, they all died? Like, what happened? Like, that's, that's kind of an astonishing thing. But there's some stuff going on in this woman's life, and I don't think it's any different than what happens in a lot of people's lives, because I think this woman personifies or is a good example of what a lot of the people in the world are looking for. She is thirsty, and she's looking to get satisfied. That's why she went to the well. And you see in her life all these areas that she's looked to in order to satisfy her soul, and how each of these areas has left her still thirsty, and empty. In your life, you're going to begin to pursue and look for things that you think are going to satisfy this internal need that you have inside your soul. And if you're not careful, you're going to find out really quickly that those things don't satisfy you the way you think they're going to. As a matter of fact, let's look at a few of those with this Samaritan woman. The first thing I noticed right off the bat is she thought for a moment that maybe friendships would help her out. There's some context clues in this story when you go on and read it. Notice that Jesus said when he sat down, it was about noontime. So about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when the woman came to get water from the well. Now in these cultures, you're living in a desert area. You had to get water every day for all of the things you had in your house. They didn't have indoor plumbing. So they had to go to the well and get water for their day. But this woman is going to the well at noon. The reason that's funny is most people would get up early in the morning, four or five in the morning, to go to the well and get water and then bring it back home for the rest of the day. Now, part of that was to have water throughout the day. But the other part of it is they live in a desert, all right? You don't want to go to the outside and into a barren area and to a well in the middle of the day, noon, when the sun is at its highest peak and it's the hottest, right? Now that it's starting to get a little hot, you start to realize, man, noon is when it gets really hot. That's when the sun is directly over you. It's the closest to you and it becomes the hottest. So from a practical standpoint, everybody in the village would have got water in the morning. They would have helped each other out. They would have hooked each other up. It would have been a communal thing where we all come together in the morning. We all draw water for the day. And yet this woman is coming at noon. I think part of that, I think the biggest reason is because she wasn't accepted by the rest of the community to go in the morning. 
I bet you that a lot of the women in her village didn't like this woman. Because it's not like she had five husbands throughout all the land. These are probably five men that she married from that same town. It's like some of you might act, right, towards a guy or a girl at school that you're cool with, and then they get a boyfriend, then they get another boyfriend, then they get another boyfriend, or they've been having five girlfriends, and suddenly you're like, mm, you nasty. You dated half our class already. You've made out with half the people in our room. And, and sometimes we'll joke with them like that, but then other times what we'll start to do is we'll start to disassociate with them. We'll start to cut them off. I remember even in my high school, there was a young lady who was a church uh, goer. You know, she was raised as a Christian. And uh, freshman year, she, she liked this one boy. And he didn't really care much for her, but uh, he thought she was cute. And so they started getting into a, not even a relationship, just a, a physical relationship. And he ended up sleeping with her, and he ended up just kind of using her. And then another guy came and did the same thing, and they all started talking to each other. Hey, this girl's easy, you know, whatever. Like, she starts saying, all you got to say is you love her, and, and it's not a big deal. Like, she'll go with you. And sure enough, it happened guy after guy after guy. And the crazy thing is all her friend group cut her off. They all started calling her names. They started just saying she was this and she was that. And within a span of just a couple months, her entire friend group turned their back on her. And said, no, you nasty now. I wonder if this Samaritan woman had the same situation occur. Where the reason she can't come when everybody else is there, the reason she doesn't have any friends is because her friends have turned on her. And I think that's important because as a teenager, there's this, this loyalty that you have to your friends. And I get it. There's this deep, that, that's my boy. Hey, that's my girl. Like, I'm there for them. I got her back, right? And you say random stuff like, man, I love you forever. Bro, I'll die for you. And it's like, no, they won't, right? Because let something happen where they got to choose between their own consequences and standing up for you, and they'll turn on you like that. It's just human nature, okay? So we say really bold statements when we're young. Man, I'll love forever, but I'll love. Like, you'll always be. And then, like, Two weeks later, they get a new boyfriend, new girlfriend. They don't talk to you no more. They don't hang out with you no more. They disappeared. And you're like, where'd you go? Like three years later, you run into them. It's super awkward. You know, you pretend like you're on your phone so you don't have to talk to them. But you were best friends. What happened? It's just the nature of people sometimes. And it's not always bad. It's not always like they backstabbed you or they turned on you. Sometimes friendships just outgrow each other, you know? People move away. Think about it like this. Very few of you, your best friend in first grade is still your best friend. Because you probably don't even remember their name. Because I just don't see them anymore. They moved away or, or we went to different schools and, and things just got separated. And, and what I'm saying is that friendships are good, but they're not satisfying. Not to the soul. <laughs> this woman must have had friends at some point. She grew up in this village with everybody. But now all of a sudden, she can't connect with people. She can't go where everybody else is going. Listen, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says it like this. There are friends, and I love how the Bible does quotations. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. He's not talking about a real friend in the world. Proverbs is talking about God. There are friends in this world that are going to betray you, but a real friend is the friend you have in God is the relationship you have with the Lord. Listen, John chapter 15, verse 14 through 15. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Listen, 
Friends are great. And, and part of what we want to do here at Excel is cultivate an area where you can have friendship, where you can build friendships with other believers that are trying to get to where you're trying to go. That's good. Healthy friendships are good. But even in here, healthiest friendships, they're not enough to satisfy you because they're not God. And so there's a, I don't think about this. You ever have that one friend that's too much, that just keeps dumping everything on you? And there's a part where it's like, yo, I don't even know what to say anymore, right? Because they're trying to turn to you to satisfy the soul need that they have, and you're not enough. And so you want to help them, you want to be for them, but really you're just a friend, you're not a God. And the problem is when you start to rely on your friends and you start to put on them what you're only supposed to put on God, it's only a matter of time before you realize that your friends just aren't strong enough to hold that. And they're either going to run away, walk away, or you at some point are going to push them away. But you won't have your friends the way you think you will. And again, I'm not trying to disqualify them. I don't want you to turn to your friend and be like, ugh, the betrayal. (laughs) No, it's not the betrayal, it's the reality. You got to be careful. This woman, she must have had friends, but now she doesn't. The other thing that I noticed she probably tried to put her hope in is not just her friendships, but it's her culture, right? She's a Samaritan woman. If you notice, one of the things she brings up right away is you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We're not supposed to communicate. We're not supposed to have relationships. Like, you shouldn't even be talking to me, right? You don't associate with us. And here's the problem I have when when we look to our culture for our identity, when we look to our culture for the basis of who we are. We start to realize that that ends up dividing people more than it ends up uniting people. We feel unity in the culture, but not with everybody else, just those that are in the culture. Right? I, I was thinking about this right now. Like, we, we got into June, and this is like the season of flags, right? So you're seeing, like, all the LGBTQ flags, and you're seeing all the Puerto Rican flags, which, by the way, I don't know if it's like a rule that Puerto Ricans have to leave the house wearing six to seven pieces of clothing that has the Puerto Rican flag on it. I'm not sure if that was like a mandate from the island. I guess my family didn't come from that side of the island. But it's not surprising when a Puerto Rican's a Puerto Rican, right? You're like, oh, you're Puerto Rican? Yeah, how'd you know it's Puerto Rican? Your shirt is a Puerto Rican flag. Like, that's just how I know, right? You came out of a car with 16 pieces of Puerto Rican flags hanging on it. And so you, you see these things that, again, you know, if that's what you identify with, whatever it is. But a lot of times we identify with things. And as a believer, here's the issue. If your identity is rooted in anything else other than Christ, it's an identity that won't last long. Here you see this woman, her identity was wrapped in in the fact that she was a Samaritan. And it wasn't even a good thing. It was more like, hey, I'm beneath you. You shouldn't be talking to me. Why? Because I'm a Samaritan. And if we're not careful, we can look at that. Listen, a majority of you, you'd be considered minorities. Okay? And the problem that sometimes can occur is when you take on that identity as your identity and you start to think that something about you is minor, is less than. And you start to, to look at yourself as a victim and as, and as less than and something undeserving because, hey, I'm a minority. Well, I might be a minority, but not because of my skin color, because of who I am in Christ. And because of who I am in Christ, I don't see myself as a minority. I'm the majority, the majority of people getting to heaven. I am in that group. And so we got to be careful because whatever starts to attack you and, and wrap itself around you as your identity saying, you are this that becomes your idol because that's what you worship. 
whether it be your heritage, your sexual orientation, your style of music, your sports team, that is who I am. And the problem is this woman was stuck with being a Samaritan and she couldn't even see the Messiah standing in front of her. Listen, John chapter 15, verse 14 through 15 I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. says, for he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The two groups he's talking about are Jews and Gentiles. Okay? The Bible is clear that the Messiah was going to come out of the Jewish people. So they are the first promised people. Gentile is anybody who's not Jew. So that means the whole rest of the world. So he's saying Jew and Gentile, there used to be this, this animosity towards them, right? If you look throughout all the Old Testament, it was always wars against people who were fighting against God's people. But the Bible is telling us that Jesus was able to reconcile that. He was able to take the two groups and make them one under him because he paid the price and the sacrifice of sin. And now because of Jesus... We don't have that hostility anymore. His purpose was to create in himself, right? Not in your culture, but in Christ, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So what is he saying? He's saying because of Christ, your identity should no longer be wrapped up in anything other than Christ first. Okay? So I'm not saying you don't got to be a proud Puerto Rican, but I'm saying your joy, your faith, your honor, your pride should be in Christ before it's in anything else. And it's filtered through Christ. So if there's anything else that I want to wrap my identity under, if it's not filtered through Christ, if it, if it somehow compromises my identity with Christ, then I don't want that. So if I had this culture like, yo, I'm a pimp, and I just hook up with all these girls, and I'm a player, and and I got that mindset like, yo, that's just who I am, well, that doesn't line up with who I am in Christ. So one of those two got to die. One of those two got to go away. And if it's Jesus, and I'm left with this identity of of being a player, it's not going to be long before I get played. And so we need to be careful, because you can just fill in the blank with whatever your culture is, because if it's not Christ, it's not right. Here this woman realized she identifies as Samaritan, but guess what? The Samaritans don't even like her. They don't associate with her. You need to be careful what you've wrapped your identity under because a lot of that is what shapes your thinking, what shapes your mentality, what shapes your heart and your feelings. And if it's anything other than Christ, it's not going to last and it's not going to sustain you. And then the third thing, uh, this is a... a, a an interesting one, but it's a real one, is something that I've seen way too many times in ministry throughout the years. First, she put her hope in these friendships. Then she put her hope in her culture. And you see at least five to six times she put her hope in a romantic relationship. She thought, well, if I get a husband, that's going to solve things. And I've been where you've been, and I've thought that when I was there. There's this part of you, even among our young adults who are single, they struggle with this too. They can be honest with you on that. There's this part of you that thinks, well, if I just had a spouse, if I just had a girlfriend, if I just had a boyfriend, then I'd be okay. 
right? If I can just get that thing that's missing because I'm missing my other half, then I can be whole. But what Christ is saying is, no, 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 I make you whole, right? You don't need a better half because there is no better half. I am the better whole. I made you whole now in me, and that satisfies you. And so I think part of the problem is, you ever gone shopping when you're hungry? You, you just buy stupid things, right? I've done it. I had to teach myself. Like, I try to eat before I go grocery shopping because I'll be sitting there like, oh, we definitely need gummy bears for dinner. It's just a, it's a very, oh, 16 cans of Pringles. It's on sale, right? Buy 15, get one off. Like, I just, I got to get 16 cans of Pringles. And it's just, it's not because I need it. It's because I'm hungry and I'm not satisfied. And because I'm not satisfied, anything that looks good, I start pulling off the shelf. Well, guess what? We do that romantically. When you're not satisfied in Christ, you start looking for somebody to satisfy the needs of the heart. And you start, and, and we don't even look right. We just look at like, she look good. That'll do. You ever talk to her? Not in my life. <laughs> you know who she is? I have no idea. She look good though. Oh, he look, he cute. I mean, I can work on the eyebrows, but everything else, we, I mean, we could tweeze that. He's cute. Right? And so that's, that's our bare minimum. We just look at the box. Hey, let me give you a, a quick heads up because this is what happens marketing-wise in supermarkets and the cereal. If you ever notice, check this out next time you go. All the healthy cereal is on the top shelf. All the sugary cereal is bottom to middle shelf. And the reason they do that is so that children eye level will look at that cereal because they know kids don't want to buy healthy cereal. And the problem a lot of times is as our view is down here, we don't look at things from a higher perspective. We still look straight. And when we look straight, we think, yeah, they, yeah, they look good. I like the color of the box. So I'm going to get that. Yeah, that cereal is bad for you. That's like diabetes in a box. It's like, it's all good. Right? And a lot of times we enter. So this Samaritan woman, five times she thought, yeah, this will be the solution. And five times she was wrong. Now she's got a reputation. Now she's got the way people look at her. Now she's struggling with her relationships. This lady was literally and figuratively thirsty. And she couldn't get satisfied. Psalm 42, verse 1 through 2 says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. Oh God, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? There's a thirst that all of us have, and it's one that only God can satisfy. Think about this. If you're outside playing basketball, it's hot, and you're, and you're giving it everything you got, and you're real sweaty, or, or you're out there playing volleyball, and you've been running around, going into the alley, trying to get the ball back, and you get really thirsty. If I give you a can of Coke, you drink it happily. And if it's nice and cold, it'll satisfy you. It'll taste good. And if you're still thirsty, you can drink another one. But here's the interesting thing about pop is it might satisfy you on the first few sips. But after a while, you ever notice, especially if you're hot, you start doing this. Right? All that sugar, all that syrup, it's all in your mouth. Your teeth start getting that weird grindy feeling. And actually, because of the caffeine in it, you're actually dehydrating yourself instead of actually hydrating yourself. So even though it tastes good, it's not satisfying. No, there's a point, and we've all gotten there, even as teenagers, there is a point where you go, man, I just need some water, 
Like, I just need some, I don't care where, I'll drink it out the hose. That tastes the best when I was a kid. I'll pull the hose up, that cold, you know what you're talking about? Where you're like a dog, like, hold up, bro, hold up. You get the real nasty guy that puts his mouth on the hose. You're like, oh, I'm not even that bad. Like, bro, get your mouth off the metal. That's gross. (laughs) But you don't care because why? I need water. And all I'm saying is, listen, if God has it in the cards for you to be in a romantic relationship, that's cool. Praise God. But if you think that's going to be the answer to your loneliness and your struggle and your insecurities and, you know, if you're like, hey, listen, I don't even care if it's a guy or a girl, as long as, as it's something that satisfies my needs, you'll find out that it won't satisfy you long. Because a person can't do that. It might be enjoyable temporarily, but eventually those butterflies go away. And eventually you start to realize, especially if it's an inappropriate relationship that starts to pull you away from God, that this isn't what God wants for me. And if it's not what God wants for me, then it's not what I want for me. John chapter 7, verse 37 says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Stop going to somebody else to get a drink because that drink's just never going to be enough. You got to turn to God and he will satisfy your soul. There's one more thing I noticed with this woman. And it's one that I don't think you'd associate. Like a lot of times we go, oh, dating girls, boys. We get that. We've heard about that. But the last one is a little more subtle. The last one has to do with religion because it's important for you to understand that religion in and of itself will never satisfy a God-shaped hole in your heart. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the story that we just read about the Samaritan woman, towards the end when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you living water, and with this water you'll never thirst again, and she's like, oh, that's awesome. And then she gets into a theological conversation. And she's like, oh, man, you must be a prophet. Answer this. How is it that y'all worship here and we worship here and who's right? Now she's starting to get into theology. Now she's starting to get into the rules. Why is it that y'all do this and we do that? And, and here's the problem. Religion by itself is just a standard of rules and regulations that tell you what to do and what not to do. That can't save you. That doesn't transform you. That doesn't make you more like Christ, right? And so we get caught up sometimes in, in these religiosities and in, in this acting like God instead of becoming more like God, instead of becoming who Christ called you to be. And if you notice that she was more concerned with where they worship than who to worship. She's standing in front of God himself, Jesus Christ, and she's going, so are we supposed to worship here or are we supposed to worship there? And he's looking at, hey, listen, there's going to come a time where God's going to look for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, your spirit ain't right. Listen, just because you're here means diddly squat in heaven. You can be here every week, faithful, and doesn't mean anything. You can wear crosses around your neck. You can say certain prayers at night. You can do all the religious things you want, serve in ministry, help out with stuff. But if you don't have a relationship with God, it's empty. It's meaningless. You just wasted your Thursday and Friday nights. Listen, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 through 9 says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. 
I remember one time I was with a, a buddy of mine, one of my best friends growing up, and uh, we were at McDonald's. And there's some kid that started trying to mess with us, just talking smack and trying to pick a fight or being dumb or whatever. I don't, he was a dumb kid. And uh, he notices, as after a couple of minutes, he notices this Jesus cross on my friend's neck. And he's like, oh, my bad. You, you know, you're, you're religious. You're, I, don't, I don't mess with, with, with godly people, bro. My bad. And he started trying to mess with me. And my friend just starts cracking up. He's like, bro, I barely believe in God. <laughs> like, my, my grandma just gave me this chain. He's the real Christian. <laughs> and it's funny like that. I think a lot of times we think that our religious behavior is somehow the same as our relationship with God, and it's not. Because if Thursday nights is the only time you ever see God's word, then you don't have a relationship with him, you just know of him. If, if Thursday nights is the only time you pray, then you don't have a relationship with him. I do, and you look at my relationship and think it's yours. You know of someone, but you don't know them. And this is the thing that Jesus is trying to say. I died not to have a relationship with Excel. I died so that I can have a relationship with you individually, not corporately. I want to know each and every one of you. Joseph, I want to know you. Bella, I want to know you. Right? I want to know you, Leo. I want to know the individual, and I want you to get to know me. That's a relationship. Think about it in school. How many people know you, and how many people really know you? For me, going to Lane, my legal name is Jose, but everybody's always called me Joey in my family. So the people who really knew me at Lane, they called me Joey. And the people who called me Jose, I knew they didn't know me. They just knew my name from when they would call out the class, right? When they would say Jose, I'd raise my hand. So they thought, well, his name's Jose, and it's true. But that just means you know me from school. That doesn't mean you know me for me. A lot of you guys know God from church, but you don't know God in person. You don't have a real relationship with him. And this is where it tells you, you have religion, you don't have relationship. And religion, eventually, you're going to get tired of the rules. You're going to get tired of somebody telling you what to do. You're going to get tired of showing up every week. And you're going to walk away from all of it. Because it was never a real thing to you. It was just a religious thing to you. You're here because your make you come here. Because your family comes here. Because you feel obligated to come here. And until you build that relationship with God where there is a desire. Because for me, it's never, oh, well, I have to do this. It's no, 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 no. I love God. Let me give it to you like this. Uh, there's certain things about the way I dress or the way I, that I do because that's what my wife likes. If my wife don't like the way I do my hair, I don't do my hair that way. Now, if you look at that and go, oh, man, you let your wife run you? Like, you let your wife tell you what to do? No, but that's my wife. I want to impress my wife. I don't care what you think. I'm not married to you. I'm married to my wife. I want my wife to, to look at me and go, oh, so good looking, right? And so if she don't like it that, you know, that I do a certain, I'm like, hey, listen, baby, that's not a big deal. I'm going to change. Not because I'm changing for you in the sense that you're making me. I'm changing for you in the sense that I want to please you. Now, that can be unhealthy in some human standards, but it's never unhealthy in a godly standard because any change that God asks is more to your benefit than it is to his. And so if the Lord says, hey, I want you to live this way, I'm like, absolutely. Why? Because I trust you more than I trust anybody else on this planet. And so, God, I want to live in a way that honors you. I want to live in a way that brings you glory and honor. I want to live in the way that makes you pleased. Why? Because I love you. And if you don't love God, if you don't have that relationship with God, then all those rules are always going to be a burden to you. It's always going to be annoying. 
Because you don't understand why you do it. You just do it because Pastor Joey said so. Pastor Jason, if you're still here, I'm not sure if he's still, yeah, he's here. Can you help me out a little bit? Here, this Samaritan woman, you can tell in her life she's been struggling. Her religion hasn't helped her. Her culture hasn't helped her. Her friends haven't helped her. The six men she's been with haven't helped her. And you got to understand, in this time period, being a woman is very difficult, just in and of itself. She is looking for help to just basically live her life. And none of the things that she's turned to has helped her. And all of a sudden, one day when she goes out to get water at the well, she meets a Jewish man named Jesus. And she's surprised by this conversation. And she thinks he's a prophet. And in the next couple of verses, she says, listen, I know when the Messiah arrives, the one they call the Christ, that everything will be right. See, she had a hope. Uh, one day, it'll get better. She had a hope that at some point, things are going to turn around. Because none of this other stuff has worked. And if you notice, let's look at that. John chapter 4, verse 25 through 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. She's looking for an answer to a God-shaped hole in her heart. And listen to what Jesus said. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, there's some important context clues that you got to focus in on if you can keep that up. The way it's phrased is not an accident. It's not a grammar error. The fact that I am is capital. It's a throwback. It's one that she would have understood very, very clearly because her roots are the same as his roots. They go back to Jacob to Abraham, to Isaac. And the Bible tells us that in Exodus, when Moses was, a, was talking to the Lord and God's telling him the instructions and he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to have you go into Egypt. You're going to talk to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him, let my people go. And you're going to rescue all the Israelites that are in slavery out of Egypt. And Moses like, on what authority? Like, how am I going to just walk in there and tell the Jewish people, how, how will they believe me? How are they going to know? Who shall I say sent me? They're going to ask this. And the Lord's response was this. Listen, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I think that is the coldest name ever. I am who I am. Now, there's a lot of theological reasons to it, but let me give you the, the Pastor Joey reason, the thing that I love about it. When God is declaring I am, I feel like he's saying I am the answer to whatever it is you're lacking in. I am the fill in the blank. I am the thing that's missing in your life. I am the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I am the source of your identity. I am the love of your life. I am the one worthy for you to worship. 
I am the answer to your loneliness. I am the solution to your depression. I am the forgiver of your past. I am the one who holds your future. I am whatever you need me to be. I can be that thing. Whatever you keep going to all these other things. I am your counselor. I am your medication. I am your refuge. I am your hope. I am anything you need. Fill in the blank. I am God. And so I am all. And too many of us, we keep turning to everything else. And here Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, I am that. The thing you keep going to everything else for, you found it in me. You don't got to look no more. Because what I'm giving you will not just satisfy you, but it will satisfy you for life. It will be what you always need. I can become your identity. I can become your friend. I will be your hope in your future. I will be the water that satisfies your thirst. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And I'm going to ask, just take a moment, bow your head, just so you're not distracted. Close your eyes for just a moment. And let me ask you something. What have you been searching for outside of God? What have you been looking to to satisfy a God-shaped thirst in your life? Now, this takes you being honest with yourself and transparent. Because a lot of times, especially if you grew up in church, in your mind, you're like, no, 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 God's my everything. But in your actions, no, you've been searching. It would be like me saying, well, my wife is everything. But on the side, I've been trying to talk to somebody on Instagram My actions don't line up with what I'm saying. And so what I'm trying to communicate to you is, are you searching for something outside of God that you think is going to satisfy that need? Because I need you to know that the answer to that is no, it's not going to do that. A relationship is not going to satisfy that. Your friends are not going to satisfy that. A religion is not going to satisfy that. Excel can't satisfy that. I cannot satisfy that. Your family cannot satisfy that. Your identity, your culture cannot satisfy that. Nothing in this world outside of God can satisfy that. And the quicker you understand that, the quicker you can accept what can satisfy that. So all I'm saying is tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to be real with yourself and say, hey, listen, there's some stuff that I've been going to to satisfy my flesh, to satisfy what I think I need. And it's been leaving me empty every time afterward. Maybe in the moment it satisfies you, but not in the long run. In a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to stop searching and start finding, to turn to God and to say, Lord, I need that living water. I need you Because the well that I've been going to is not enough anymore. So if you're in this place and and that's you, what I've been describing is where you're at, would you just do me a favor and signal me by lifting up your hand and you could just put it right back down afterward. I just want to pray for you if that's you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else says that's me, pastor. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? Awesome, I see you, bro. Thank you, sweetheart. 
Let me pray for you then. Heavenly Father, God, you see every hand that's been raised in this room. Lord, you know exactly what they're going through. You know exactly what they've been fighting with. You know exactly what it is that they've been turning to that's not you. And God, I'm just so grateful that you don't respond to that with wrath and with anger. But Lord, you respond to that with a loving arm, with a hand that is extended to say, you don't need to go to those things. I can be everything you need. So God, I thank you that you truly are everything we need. That we don't need to turn to the left or to the right because the one standing before us, the one whose name is Jesus, is everything we need in our lives. And so God, I just ask right now, help us to just give ourselves fully to you, God. To give ourselves entirely to you. To no longer have one foot in or one foot out. To no longer play this church game. To no longer fake in front but to be authentic and real and saying, God, I am desperate and thirsty for you. Would you come into my life and satisfy that? Would you remind me once again, Lord, that I have no need for anything else when I have you? Lord, I just pray, as your word says, that as we seek the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, that everything else will be added onto us. God, we thank you for healthy relationships in our life. We thank you for the beauty in some of the cultures that we find ourselves in. We thank you for the satisfaction and having godly relationships. We thank you, O Lord, that we have ministries like Excel and a church to come and congregate and be a part of. Lord, those in the right context are good things, but all of those things are worthless if we don't have you first. So God, I just pray, help us to keep you first. Help us to turn to you first. Help us to make you the priority of our lives so that we'll never be thirsting again. We will always be satisfied in you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Would you give God just a hand clap of praise where you're at? Amen, amen. Hey, listen, I just want to remind you, tomorrow is the last small group for this semester. And so we all want to come together, hang out. Remember to invite your friends. It's going to be a celebration. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we got some stuff that is going to be coming up in the summertime. And so stay tuned. Watch online for some of that. Thursdays is still going on. So make sure you're here each and every Thursday. We got a lot of stuff that are being planned. And listen, hey, I just want to apologize. We had a little snafu with the ice water bath. Apparently, that baptismal tank is heated no matter what. So our ice all melted. And so we got to regroup that. We're going to do something uh, depending on when Jonathan's baby's born. If it's born, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer and praise God for that one. But uh, we are still going to put him in horrible, horrible pain. So stay tuned for that. All right. God bless you. We love you. Let's go hang out outside. Basketball hoop is up. Volleyball's out there. Let's enjoy some time together. Let's have fun.